A common complaint about advertising is that advertisers have to pay for the ads before knowing if they work. A $10,000 ad buy could bring back tens of thousands of dollars in sales. It could also bring back nothing. So one approach is to start small. And as you learn what works, you grow your advertising investment. This makes mistakes less costly, but they still cost something. If only there were a way to only pay for the ads that work. Well, guess what? There is. And you'll find out all about it in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living with writing worth talking about. Now, before we can talk about only paying for ads that work, I need to explain the three different way ads are sold or ads are priced, you could say. The first is what's called pay per impression or PPI. So this is TV, radio, podcasts, and some Facebook ads are sold on a per impression basis. They're typically priced in CPM, which is cost per thousand M is the Roman numeral for thousand. I think this is a really stupid acronym, but it's what the industry has been using as long as I've been around, maybe back to the misty early days of ads. I don't know. And so if a podcast has a $30 CPM as the cost of its ads, and that podcast gets 1000 downloads an episode, the cost to advertise on an episode of that podcast would be $30. If that same podcast had 10,000 downloads an episode, the same ad would cost you $300. This is why TV and radio stations care so much about ratings, by the way. So a third-party company like Nielsen will calculate how big the audience is, and that has a direct impact on how much the station makes from the ads that they sell. If the nightly news on Channel 7 has twice the viewers as Channel 24, they can sell the same ad slot for twice as much money. <laughs> so it really affects the profitability of a radio station or, or a TV station. Old school banner ads sold the same way until the dot-com crash of the early 2000s. One of the things that led to that dot-com crash was a phenomenon known as banner blindness. So just because your ad is on the screen doesn't mean that people actually notice it. So this led to a new way to sell ads or to price ads, which leads us into method number two, pay per click or PPC. So Amazon ads, Google ads, and some Facebook ads are sold on a pay-per-click basis. Uh, Facebook lets advertisers choose between PPC and PPI when buying the ads. It's one of the 1 million options that you get with Facebook advertising. With PPC, the advertiser only pays when a visitor clicks on the ad. So if 1,000 people view a blog post, but only five of them click on the advertisement, the advertiser only has to pay for the five clicks. The other 9,995 impressions are free. And the ones that did not result in clicks are free. Now, maybe that they may not have noticed your ad, but maybe they did. And so this is one of the advantages of PPC advertising. Usually PPC ads are sold on an auction basis and the likelihood of the ad getting clicked on is considered. So if you think you can hack this by picking a really bad ad that nobody clicks on to get free advertising, that won't work because they also look at at least what Google calls a quality score. So it's a combination of how high your bid is and how likely people are to click on that ad. 
So PPC advertisers put a lot of effort into optimizing the quality of the ads since the better the score, the cheaper the clicks. Now, paying per click is lower risk than paying per impression, but there is still a big difference between someone clicking a link to learn more and completing the purchase. So the gold standard in advertising is pay per sale, PPS. Advertisers in this model only pay for the ad after the customer completes the checkout process. This is also called affiliate marketing, since the content creator shares in the sales revenue. When Amazon sells ads to authors, it prices them on a pay-per-click basis. So if you were to buy Amazon ads, they're pay-per-click ads. But when Amazon buys ads on author blogs and websites, it pays on a pay-per-sale basis. <laughs> it does this through the Amazon Associates Affiliate Program. And you know what they say, don't look at what fashion designers design, look at what they wear. <laughs> so they design very fancy, elaborate outfits that are really ugly and yet they often wear very simple very professional clothes so if you want to copy what amazon is doing consider creating your own affiliate program i'll explain more about that here in a bit so how does amazon or whoever know if someone has completed the purchase this is through the use of a tracking link or tracking url so a normal product urls look something like example.com forward slash product dash name Whereas an affiliate URL might look like example.com forward slash product dash name question mark affiliate equals Thomas. So now it's not always exactly that phrase, maybe AFF equals Thomas or A and then some number. But usually there's a question mark and then some little bit of information that tells the website who to pay when that customer checks out. Now, some websites like amazon.com will shorten this big long link that has not just who the affiliate is, but a million other tracking identifiers. There's a reason why if you were to go to an Amazon product page on Amazon and copy the URL and paste it, it's a whole paragraph full of tracking information. But they shorten that down into a short URL that's on the amzn.to domain. <laughs> but if you were to click one of those links, and I have an example in the show notes, it expands into a big long URL that has that affiliate information. If you were to click that URL and then go and check out, Amazon would give me 4.5% of the purchase price if you purchase a paper book and 4% if you purchase the audiobook or ebook. And here's the cool part. That book, that example, is for my own book. So I will get paid twice. <laughs> I will get the affiliate commission for sending you to Amazon and then I'll also get my royalty as the author of that book. Now, there's two sides of the affiliate marketing coin. And if you want to get into affiliate marketing, you need to understand both sides. So there's the affiliate perspective and the advertiser's perspective, or sometimes called the content creator and the advertiser. And so for the rest of this episode, I'm going to walk you through both sides of that coin. And I will say I have been both. I've been both an affiliate marketer and an affiliate over the last decade and a half. I have a lot of experience with this. <laughs> there was a time when a big chunk of my money came from affiliate revenue, and it's still a part of the overall mix of how I support my family. And I'm going to give you an idea of how to get started and give you a heads up on some pitfalls to avoid. So let's talk about how to become an affiliate. Now, affiliate marketing can help you make money promoting other people's books and products on your platform. And this is where most people start, especially most authors start, 
you start as an affiliate, partly because you don't need a book to make money with affiliate commissions. You just need a platform. So all that work, building your platform, building your email list, building traffic to your website, building notoriety, all of that can be monetized right now. If you have a big email list and you're you know, hurting because ConvertKit charges you money every month, you actually could be making money off that email list that could cover your expenses and perhaps even more. And once you have a book, you might as well have the links to Amazon and the other places be affiliate links. Otherwise, you're just leaving money on the table. So most authors end up becoming an affiliate, at least for Amazon, if not for the others as well. So let's talk about Amazon's affiliate program. They call their affiliate program Amazon Associates. And it is the biggest affiliate program in the English-speaking world. And they are particularly dominant with books. And you'll find out why in a second. But spoiler... They are dominant with books because their affiliate program is better. (laughs) So it's not because they are the biggest bookstore. That's why they're dominant with affiliates. They were dominant with affiliates, and that's what made them the biggest bookstore. It was the key to their success. So let's talk about some of the pros and cons of Amazon's affiliate program. So the pros, they're easy to use when promoting your own book. It's really easy to get an affiliate link on Amazon, easier really than almost any of the other platforms. It's relatively easy to join. You just fill out a bunch of fields and click next a bunch. We have a guide walking you through it step by step if you haven't joined the affiliate program yet. And the other pro is that they sell everything. (laughs) So if you're a mommy blogger recommending toys, if you're a hunter recommending camouflage outfits, whatever it is, Amazon sells it. You can get an affiliate link for it. The cons, though, are that the commissions are relatively small. They're small compared to pretty much everyone on the internet, except for Barnes & Noble, which is shockingly half what you get at Amazon. Also, Amazon's affiliate commissions have been slowly dropping over time, so they're getting smaller and smaller every few years. Also, Amazon has a strange rule where you can't put affiliate links in emails, or they have a rule that you're not supposed to do that, which is strange because email is often the most effective place to share links. So it kind of cripples you in using their affiliate program. Talk about ways around it in a second. But the other con is that Amazon often changes the rules to purge their biggest affiliates. So you never want to be too successful as an Amazon affiliate. Just ask BookBub or ask me. (laughs) Back in the day, I was a big affiliate of Amazon. The free version of my book table used Amazon affiliate links to support the development costs and the customer support for all of the non-tech savvy authors we had using that plugin. And Amazon reached out to us and they asked us to add support for the Kindle Instant Preview feature, which saved them a lot of money from developing their own WordPress plugin. But a few months after they reached out to me and I added this feature at their request, they changed the rules of the affiliate program and kicked me out. (laughs) And overnight, I lost half of the revenue coming in for my book table and 100% of the revenue for the free version of the plugin. The free version of the plugin went from being a revenue source to a major expense. Such a traumatic shock. I can still remember exactly where I was standing when I found out that my book table had been kicked out of the Amazon affiliate program. So whatever you do, try not to get noticed by Amazon. The eye of Sauron does not gaze with kindness. If you want to be an Amazon affiliate, don't call customer service. And if they call you asking for a favor, don't answer the phone. (laughs) Don't email them back. 
That said, if you're an author linking to your own books or, and books that you recommend, you're fine. You're, you're not the highest grain of grass that's going to get trimmed. If you need help being signed up as an Amazon affiliate, like I said, we have a free step-by-step guide. It's not even an opt-in. It's just a, a blog post that we have that walks you through the process. All right, so that's Amazon's affiliate program. There are also affiliate networks. So in an attempt to compete with Amazon, other online retailers have created alliances, (laughs) also known as affiliate networks. Some popular networks in the publishing world include Impact, which is what AppSumo uses and is my personal favorite, CJ.com, which is what Barnes & Noble uses, Rakuten, which is what Kobo uses, and Thrivecart, which is a, a popular amongst course creators and virtual summits. An affiliate network acts as a trusted third party to make sure that sales are being tracked properly. And this is important, right? Because if you don't trust that you're getting credit, you're not going to do the work. And there is some trust that's needed here. <laughs> uh, it also reduces the number of accounts you have to have and logins that you have to have. My one impact account It works for a dozen different affiliates. And they also help create the tools to make it really easy to generate the affiliate URL. So you copy the URL for the page that you want to create an affiliate URL for. You paste it into impact.com or whatever network that merchant is using, and it will generate the affiliate URL. You then copy that affiliate URL, and that's the one you share with your audience. There's also private affiliate programs. So some websites have their own affiliate program instead of working with a network. Private affiliate programs tend to have the highest commissions, but are also often the hardest to get into. (laughs) Some are invite only. If there's a product or service that you want to be an affiliate for, that you want to recommend, what I recommend doing is look for an affiliates link in the footer of the website. Click that link and it will have instructions on how to sign up. It'll either link to the affiliate network that that website's a part of, or their own in-house affiliate program if they have one. So I should talk a little bit about ethical affiliate marketing. So if you're recommending your own book, you're pretty safe, right? Because people know you're selling your own book, you're recommending your own book. But once you recommend other people's stuff, I think ethics comes into play. So unethical affiliate marketing is where you recommend just whoever pays the best, regardless of how good they are or how good of a fit they would be for your audience. Oh, and you hide your affiliate disclosure and legalese somewhere on your website so they don't even know that you're being compensated. So yes, Hollywood does this. They hide who pays money to place products and scenes. They hide who pays the money to influence plot lines. But just because Hollywood does it doesn't mean that it's an ethical practice. (laughs) So we're not talking about legalities here. We're talking about ethics. Legally, all you're required to do is disclose somewhere on your website that you have affiliate links. But I think that the threshold for ethics is higher than that. So what do I recommend instead? Well, I recommend that you, as the influencer, as the author, only recommend the best products (laughs) so and the best books. This is what I try to do on this podcast. I try to only recommend the best products, whether they have an affiliate program or not. So, for instance, I had Hindenburg on the show. We did a big whole episode about Hindenburg and how great it is for narrating audiobooks. They don't have an affiliate program. I don't get anything for recommending them. I have recommended them on stages at podcast conferences, and I don't get compensated. Why? Because I feel like they're the best. Now, Descript is also good, and I use both Hindenburg and I use Descript, and I have an affiliate link for Descript, but I don't recommend Descript instead of Hindenburg. 
And really, they do two very different things. One thing to keep in mind, though, and this is important when it comes to recommending the quote unquote best, is that best is subjective. So ConvertKit is better than MailerLite for authors, but it's also more expensive. Uh, and so it may not be the better option for you, right? If you're struggling financially and MailerLite is all you can afford, MailerLite is way better than nothing. And it's still a really good platform. It's just a little bit harder to use than ConvertKit, a little bit less powerful. So I'm going to fill it for both because it's not one size fits all. And for some people, MailerLite does everything they need it to do, and it saves them a lot of money every month. This is actually really common where there's multiple products at multiple price points. And the more expensive option, like in hosting, WP Engine, which is what I use, is better than Bluehost which is what I recommend for most authors. <laughs> but WP Engine is way more expensive. I currently pay over $1,000 a month for web hosting. It's really expensive. <laughs> I really appreciate your patronage. And it's because the website's very popular. But most authors don't have websites that are ranking for really popular key phrases like Author Media is. And if you're building your platform strategically, the money that comes in from having the platform covers your growing hosting expenses and all and your website expenses and your email expenses, etc. So what I try to do, though, as an affiliate is I share the pros and cons. So instead of saying this is the only option, <laughs> you can only go with Bluehost or you can only go with WP Engine. I give the pros and cons of both and try to help my audience realize when it's worth spending extra for the quality and when you can safely save money on the cheaper option. Another element of affiliate marketing that's very important is transparency. So I think it's good to be as transparent as possible in affiliate marketing. If you're getting a commission from a recommendation, make that clear. That said, you don't have to be as transparent as I am. So I make the affiliate links on authormedia.com and all of my websites obnoxiously obvious. After every single affiliate link, I try to put affiliate link in parentheses. Why do I do that? Well, it's because this is a podcast and some podcast listeners want to support the show by using my affiliate links. So they will go and pull up the blog post version just to find the affiliate link so that when they click to sign up for Bluehost or WP Engine or Descript or whatever, they're giving me the credit so I get my commission. Not very many do, but the ones who do, I want to reward them. I want to make it really easy for them to find my affiliate links because it's a, you know, it's a great way to support the show without spending any extra money than what you would already spend. In fact, some affiliate links include a coupon code embedded. So sometimes it's even cheaper to use the affiliate link depending on the product or the service. And I should say, by the way, affiliate marketing is not actually a good fit for podcasting <laughs> because it is more work. So if you're a blogger or your primary platform is your email newsletter, it's no extra work for somebody to click an affiliate link. But for a podcast listener to use my affiliate link, it's extra work for them, which makes me really grateful anytime somebody's willing to jump through those extra hoops because I realize it's an inconvenience to use my affiliate links. So while the occasional listener will jump through those extra hoops, I don't blame you if you just go straight to Descript.com to sign up for it because it's easier. But this, I think, is important to illustrate the point I'm trying to make, and that is that the transparency doesn't hurt you. If you're providing valuable content for your readers, if you are blessing your email list, if you are thrilling your blog readers, then the affiliate transparency should actually help you. 
people would be perhaps more willing to use your link because they're grateful for the helpful guide that you wrote or the, the humorous story or, or what have you. Or they really value your recommendation of what book to read and they're happy to use your affiliate link. Readers of Goodwill know how much work goes into writing blog posts, recording podcast episodes, making videos, or whatever else it is that you do. So don't feel like you have to hide it. And yes, legally, you can create almost impenetrable legalese that accommodates the letter of the law. But I think it's better to be more transparent than that. So you can have that legalese. You can have the privacy policy. But I would also make it really obvious. Being like, hey, the links in this post are affiliate links. If you want to support what I do, use my links. You'll often see this on YouTube where YouTubers will, you know, here's the 10 best products for X and they'll have the affiliate links for all of the products down below. Very common in my world of podcasting where people like to recommend podcast microphones. <laughs> they'll have an affiliate link for all of the microphones that they like and the ones they don't like, which actually I think is another element of transparency. I think it's a good idea to be transparent about why you recommend that product or service or why you're linking to it. So, for example, I have an episode where I compare different email platforms. So the three platforms I compare are MailerLite, ConvertKit, and MailChimp. Now, I don't like MailChimp, and I don't recommend it for almost anyone. It's the right pick for very few people in very few situations. And in the episode, I explain who, who you are if it's a good fit for you. But I still have an affiliate link for MailChimp. So if you want to sign up for MailChimp against my recommendation, you can still use my affiliate link if you want to. But you also can be like, I think Thomas is an idiot. I love MailChimp. I'm going to sign up for it anyway. You can go to MailChimp.com on your own. And it's very obvious that my link is an affiliate link. Uh, all right. So here's some quick tips on how to kind of maximize your revenue as an affiliate. Now, the first one, and this is really important, and that is to pick products your audience will love. While recommending a poor product is unethical, and I think I beat that horse to death, it's also ineffective. So if my ethical appeal didn't get to you, perhaps listen to my pragmatic appeal. Where you add value as an affiliate is through curation. So if you're the gluten-free mom blogger, recommending the best gluten-free Play-Doh is actually an act of service. Toddlers eat Play-Doh, and if gluten makes them sick, so will the Play-Doh. <laughs> so letting your audience know the product exists itself is an act of service, but letting them know which product is the best is another act of service, which actually takes us to our next tip, which is to test the options. The more microphones you test, the more valuable your microphone recommendation is. If you have read dozens of Edwardian mysteries and you have a list of your three favorites, that is far more valuable than listing the only three Edwardian mysteries you've ever read. <laughs> the more research you do, the more valuable your recommendations will be. And the more valuable they are, the more people will put stock in them and click your links. Use email when you can. So yes, Amazon doesn't allow you to put affiliate links in emails, but everyone else not only allows it, but encourages it. Why? Because it works. <laughs> email your subscribers a recommendation for something you think they'll love. Explain why they will love it, and you'll be surprised how many clicks you get, how effective that recommendation is. This is magical around Black Friday or anytime there's a deal, right? Like, hey, I found a deal on this product. That's a third service, right? It's like, hey, here's something you didn't know about. That's a service. Here's the best one. That's a service. And now is the time to buy. It's on sale. The third service. So you really can provide benefit this way. Now, here's the workaround if you want to use an Amazon affiliate link. 
you can still email out an Amazon affiliate link. You just have to use your website as an intermediary. So let's say you're recommending a book on Amazon. Instead of linking directly to that book on Amazon, you'd link to a page on your website about that book. It's got the cover, it's got some buy buttons perhaps, or a real obvious affiliate button. And then people can click that button. That button has the affiliate link and they go on to buy it on Amazon. So that way you're totally kosher with Amazon's rules and you still get your affiliate tracking URL embedded. It is an extra step for users, but it's it's what we're forced to handle. <laughs> the next tip is to host affiliate webinars, especially for higher ticket items. I found this to be an effective marketing technique is to invite your audience to a webinar about the product that you're recommending and who you're working with, the advertiser, may be willing to put on the webinar or to help you with it. Make the webinar valuable, entertaining, and explain the what, why, who, and how of the product. One good webinar can bring in thousands of dollars in affiliate commissions. Some of the easiest money you'll make <laughs> is by hosting affiliate webinars for others. You just have to be really choosy, right? See the previous statements about picking the best. <laughs> Don't just do an affiliate webinar because someone's offering you a lot of money. And the next step is to use multiple affiliate links for your own books. So every author website links to the author's book on Amazon. But some of those websites don't use affiliate links. <laughs> this is leaving money on the table. If you're traditionally published, there's a 90% chance you won't fill out your advance. This means that the only money you'll ever make post-publication is the affiliate commissions you get from Amazon. But don't just stop with Amazon. Sign up for every bookstore affiliate program you can find. It doesn't cost you any money. You only have to do it once. And this can be a steady stream of checks in the mail. <laughs> I don't understand why more authors don't go through the 20 minutes of work to sign up to become a Barnes & Noble affiliate. It's like, yeah, it's not a lot of money, but it's money you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. <laughs> and it's money you only have to work for once for an ongoing return over time. Another tip is to test the affiliate links. So you get a affiliate URL, right? So you pick, find your book on barnesandnoble.com. You copy that URL, you pe paste it into cj.com. You generate your affiliate version, you put it on your website. You're not done test that link. So when I was doing research for this episode, I noticed that I hadn't gotten a single affiliate commission from Descript. I was like, that's that's weird. I've been recommending them for a year. How, how have I not gotten a single commission from them? And I go and I look and it turns out I had a typo in the affiliate URL. I was missing a character. And I'm pretty sure that missing character was causing the affiliate tracking to fail. <sighs> so don't be like me. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> so most affiliate platforms, the networks and many of the first party affiliate programs have a tracking dashboard that doesn't just track sales. It also tracks clicks. So once you get your affiliate link added to your blog post or web page, open up an incognito window on your browser. All the browsers have incognito as a feature. So open up a new incognito window, go to that page, click the link. And then in your logged in window, you want to look and see that that link registered. That way, you know, everything's kosher. Everything's working. All right. So that's about being an affiliate. There's a, a bunch more I can say about making money with affiliate revenue. And if, if that's something you want me to do a deeper dive on, I, I might bring in on a guest or we can explore more. But I'd like now to talk about the other side of the coin, which is setting up your own affiliate program, getting that 
risk-free advertising buy. (laughs) So once you start paying for ads for your book, you start to realize just how nice it is to only have to pay money when it works. And that's what an affiliate program gives you. So just keep in mind, Amazon already has an affiliate program. So book bloggers, book reviewers, podcasters, YouTubers, they're all already using Amazon Associates to supplement their income. And they get the same 4% or 4.5% regardless of whose book the reader buys. So that's not where you're going to get the edge. It's not particularly motivating for them. You reach out to a book blogger and be like, hey, feature my book on your blog. You can get Amazon affiliate revenue. And they're going to be like, yeah, I know. I get Amazon affiliate revenue for all the books I talk about. (laughs) So what you're going to need to do is have your own affiliate platform. And if you really want to motivate affiliates, this is what you want because it allows you to give a more generous commission than the measly 4% or 2% they're getting from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And speaking of topics, I probably should do a whole episode on selling books directly to readers is something I am warming to. I used to really advise against it. But in this new cancel culture world, (laughs) I'm starting to lean towards it more and more. And your core fans are going to buy from you directly and you can make a lot more money selling a book to them directly than you do selling through Amazon. So if that's something you want me to do an episode on, let me know. But I'll give you kind of a, a, a Cliff Notes version right here because you will need your own commerce website if you want to have an affiliate program. So the easiest option to use is Gumroad. It's the easiest because it has an affiliate program built in and it also both collects, calculates, and remits sales taxes and VA taxes for you, which makes it by far the easiest to use and understand. It also is self-hosted, so you don't have to do any coding or rework your author website to use it. You would just link to the page on Gumroad, and Gumroad is fully self-contained. I've used Gumroad as what we used back when I had the MyBookTable plugins. We sold the plugins through Gumroad, and we were happy with them. I haven't used them recently because I sold the plugins during my season of printing. So uh, it was kind of interesting doing research. They totally redesigned their websites this really ugly pink. If you can get past their ugly website, there's still a good platform from what I can tell. And the remitting taxes is, is a really key feature. The next best option I would say is probably Thrivecart. It's a one-time purchase, which is nice. So it's not a monthly fee. I will say Gumroad also has no monthly fee, although they take a percentage of every sale and that's how they pay for themselves. Whereas Thrivecart, they don't take a cut of each sale. They just have the single purchase. They will calculate sales taxes for you, and they have a built-in affiliate program. But Thrivecart does not remit the sales taxes, which means if you use Thrivecart to sell physical books, you would need to file sales tax returns in all of the appropriate jurisdictions, which is a lot of hassle. (laughs) Uh, Wix, WooCommerce, and Shopify don't have affiliate programs built in. They also don't remit sales taxes. So I would avoid all three of these platforms if you're just getting started. If you already have a store set up through one of those tools and you're already getting a bunch of sales and moving is a big hassle, you can pay more money than what you're already paying for those tools for a third-party affiliate solution that you kind of bolt on. They all support various third-party affiliate plugins. If you're selling courses, Teachable, Podia, and Kajabi all have affiliate programs built in, 
But of the three, only Teachable collects and remits sales taxes. They also do VAT taxes, which makes it the obvious choice for me. (laughs) So I've paid nearly $100,000 in affiliate commissions over the years on Teachable. And I've had no issues with the money. They handle the 1099s. They handle the direct deposits. Each of my affiliates gets a dashboard that's really painless. And, And not having to deal with sales taxes is a real perk. Teachable allows me to have an affiliate program for my courses with no additional bookkeeping, which is a big, big feature. And I'll have affiliate links for some of those that I mentioned if they have an affiliate program. I'm recommending lots of things in this episode, and some of the things have affiliate links, some of the things don't, and I designate. (laughs) Uh, Also, some have an affiliate program, but they haven't approved me yet. So Thrivecart has an affiliate program, but they haven't approved me for their affiliate program. All right, so the next tip, if you're running your own affiliate program is to offer a motivating commission. Have you ever wondered why so many authors feature an Amazon link prominently and they often either leave off the Barnes & Noble link or it's much diminished? (laughs) So for some authors, it's because Amazon offers a far more generous affiliate commission. Currently, Amazon gives 4.5% on a paper copy of the book. And this used to be, if I remember correctly, quite a bit higher. I think it was six or eight percent in the early days. While Barnes & Noble, it's always been around two percent. And this is, I think, one of the biggest reasons, especially in the really early days of the web, why Amazon won. Because they got all of this free advertising and free links coming in, which had to help with search engine optimization, especially in the early days. And nobody was incentivized to link to Barnes & Noble because their affiliate commission was so measly. 2% was not motivating. 6%, 8% was motivating. And remember, for traditionally published authors, they're going to be making twice as much money, even today, linking to Amazon than they would linking to Barnes & Noble. So I think this is a big reason why Barnes & Noble lost the market share war to Amazon because they were stingy with their affiliates. So the lesson here is to not be like Barnes & Noble. (laughs) The more generous you are with your commissions, the more motivated your affiliates will be to promote you. Doing affiliate promotion for someone is a lot of work, especially if you do it well. If somebody can send an email to their audience on your behalf, that's that's work to draft that email and to, to tweak it. And they need to be justly compensated and motivated to put in the work in the first place. You need to convince them that it's worth their time. I think the most common cause of failure in affiliate programs is stingy commissions. The commission just seems like work. It's not enough money. And if on the other side, if your affiliate commission is high enough, but everything else about your program is broken or it needs improvements, affiliates will come in, fill in the gaps, even coach you on how to improve what you're offering. Like, hey, your sales page uh, could work better. And if you improve your sales page, we both make better money. And suddenly they're motivated to give you free coaching. I have found myself giving people free coaching because I was their affiliate. To be like, hey, here's some tweaks you can make. So for digital product, for ebooks, courses, anything that's virtual, I recommend a commission between 30 and 50%. And if that seems high, remember, this is only on completed sales. So all of the promotion that they give you to everybody else is free. This is risk-free advertising. And with digital products, the cost of goods is so low that a 50% commission still leaves a lot of margin for you. Remember, half of a watermelon is more fruit than 100% 
of a grape. There's a lot of poor authors out there who are fighting over percentages rather than earning dollars. So don't let the percentage scare you away from making the money. You can't pay your rent with a percentage, but you can pay it with a dollar. For physical products, you're going to need to take cost of goods sold into account before calculating what kind of affiliate commission you can give. And yes, I'm using this phrase, cost of goods sold. It's from business school. It's basic accounting, but it's how much it costs to make the thing that you're selling. So the smaller your margins, the smaller of an affiliate commission you can afford. So I still recommend that 30 to 50%, but instead of it being off of the sales price, I would take it from the kind of the net after you account for cost of goods sold. It's not the true net because you have overhead as well. I'm getting kind of into the weeds here. Let me give you an example. So if your book costs you $10 a copy to print and ship, and you're selling it on your website for $16 a copy, that 50% would come not from the $16, but from the $6 of profit. So you an, a motivating affiliate commission would be $3 a book. They're making way more money, affiliates, sending people to your website for $3 a book than they would be sending people to Amazon. And you're probably still making the same $3 because <laughs> Amazon takes a big cut that you wouldn't be giving up if you're selling directly. So your $3 cut in this example would be would cover all of your hosting costs and your administrative and your overhead and then you would keep the remainder. And affiliates would be far more motivated to promote you than the other author that they're getting 50 cents for. Because 4% on a $5 book doesn't come out to very much money. I realize for some of you hearing this is kind of mind shattering. This seems like a lot of money, but remember it's risk-free advertising, but it's not truly risk-free. You're shifting the risk because the ad may still not work, right? You can do an affiliate promotion with somebody. They send out an email for you. They promote you. They put you on their blog and their website and no sales come in and the affiliate loses all of their time investment. And so you're shifting the risk over to the affiliate. The risk isn't being magically waved away. All right, so where do you find affiliates? Let's, let's talk about that. So you've got your motivating commission. You've got your affiliate program set up. The next step is to recruit some affiliates to promote whatever it is that you're selling, your book or your course or your conference. So you likely already know some influential people with large followings. If you've been in the industry for a while, probably made some friends, but maybe you need to find some more people <laughs> or maybe you're just getting started and you're like, I don't know anybody. Where do you start? Well, one place is your podcast guests. So one perk of hosting a podcast is it gives you a chance to meet a lot of influential people in your genre or in your industry, some of whom may make for good affiliates for your books and courses or whatever. Almost all of my affiliates were podcast guests first. <laughs> Not every podcast guest goes on to become an affiliate, but pretty much every affiliate is a podcast guest first. It's where that relationship started or... The relationship already existed. They were my friend and I wanted to have them on my podcast because I thought they would bring something of value to my audience. And it's also where many of my affiliate opportunities come from as well. Either me having somebody as a guest on my podcast or I'm a guest on their podcast. So a podcast interview is a really great affiliate vetting tool. And it's one of the many perks of hosting a podcast is that it gives you access to people that otherwise you wouldn't have access to. And it also kind of forces you to expand your network because you're constantly looking for new guests to bring on the podcast. 
the classic place to find affiliates is at a conference. Conference faculty are often interested in affiliate opportunities. And depending on the conference, some of the attendees may be interested as well. Interested is not enough, though. They have to also have enough of a platform to be worth the effort. So you're looking for both interest and influence. Flying around the country can be an expensive way (laughs) to get affiliates, though. So I wouldn't go to a conference just to try to uh, recruit affiliates. But as you're making friends, and if you're going to the conference anyway, maybe something to keep in mind. Another really good source of affiliates for me have been mastermind groups. Most affiliates want to really know who they're working with. They want to make sure they're recommending something of quality. So being part of a mastermind group is often more useful for recruiting affiliates than returning from a conference with a big stack of business cards from strangers. The depth of the relationship is important here, especially as your whatever it is that you're selling is more high ticket. So somebody may have no problem recommending your $20 book on parenting, but if they want to recommend your $200 parenting course or your $2,000 parenting course, they want to really know you and they really want to know that that course is good. Also, always offer a free copy of whatever it is to affiliates to vet you. It's a big red flag for me. If somebody wants me to be their affiliate, but they are not going to let me check it out first. <laughs> if you're like, oh, you know, one of the perks of being an affiliate is that you get a discount on my course. Nope, nope, nope. Big red flag. Another source of affiliates can be the affiliates you already have, right? Your existing affiliates may introduce you to influential friends uh, who may be interested. And then the final place you can find affiliates is your competitors, quote unquote. And I'm really saying competitors in quotes here because Almost no one competes on everything. So, for example, Alana Terry has courses on some of the same topics that I have courses on. But she also has courses on topics that I don't cover. So our webinar together about how to become an author's assistant was a smash hit. We had a bunch of people come. It's a really fun webinar. And a lot of people went on to buy her program to learn how to become an author's assistant. And that was something I was very eager to introduce my audience to because I'm a big believer in that. It's a great way up the learning curve. It's a great way to make some side income. And it's something that, you know, I could teach if I had infinite time, but I'm busy with my own courses. And so it was a win for me to recommend her course. And it was a a win for her to meet my audience. All right. So let's talk uh, briefly about equipping your affiliates, setting them up for success. Because remember, their success is your success. You're only making money when they are and vice versa. The better you equip your affiliates, the easier it is for them to send you referrals. And the easier it is for them to send you referrals, the more referrals they'll send you. It's that simple. So if you're asking them not only to promote your book, but also to write marketing copy to sell your book, that's a heavy lift. (laughs) They're going to have to really love you (laughs) to be willing to do that. So don't make them do all that extra work. So the most basic thing that you can equip your affiliates with is something called swipe text. This is kind of boilerplate text, boilerplate emails, boilerplate descriptions that they can use for talking about you, talking about your book. Now, savvy affiliates aren't going to just copy and paste the swipe text into an email. Some of them will. But the savvy ones will tweak it and adapt it for their audience. But it's a lot easier to adapt something that exists rather than starting with a blank page. Don't ask your affiliates to start on a blank page. That's that's too much of an ask. 
Uh, you also want to provide them with images and graphics. So you want to have a bunch of beautiful photos of your book and your cover. Help your affiliates show what you have to offer to their audience. Offer to do a webinar. Affiliate webinars are incredibly effective. So offer to host a webinar with your affiliate's audience. And this takes the burden off of the affiliate to explain what you have. Because <laughs> if your parenting course is kind of complicated, a webinar to walk through all of its intricacies could be really key. And then, of course, guest appearances, right? So if your affiliates have a mastermind group, you know, be, make yourself available to do a, a guest Q&A. I've done quite a few Q&As with people's mastermind groups, and it's something I'm happy to do, especially if they're my affiliate or an affiliate for one of my courses. Or maybe they have a podcast or a YouTube show or even a, a, a popular blog. You come on as a guest. Sometimes a brief appearance by Zoom can go a really long way. Finally, whether you're the advertiser or the affiliate, the attitude I think that will set you up for success is an attitude of thankfulness. You know, it's a big deal for somebody to invite you to share in their success or to offer to help make you a success. That's a real honor. Both sides of it, it's an honor. Yes, money is changing hands, but don't let that replace a heartfelt thank you, a handwritten note, or even a gift basket. <laughs> so one of the people I, I work with as an affiliate recently sent me a gift basket with some maple syrup. It was really sweet. And, and I was very appreciative of that. You know affiliate marketing is working when the advertiser, the affiliate, and the customer all say a heartfelt thank you at the end. When it's done well, everyone is coming out a winner. And if it's not, then you're doing it wrong because it's really easy to make it a winner. This is a very manageable and scalable system. It's not the only way to do advertising, but it's a really good option and one I encourage you to explore, at least as an affiliate and perhaps as an advertiser as well. I'd like to thank our new patrons who became supporters of the podcast in the month of August. Lynn Tagawa, Jenny uh, Ehrlichson, Jill Holloway, John, James Bettison, Tammy Ulano, Alan Myers, Eric, Rebecca May, Denise Holbrook, and Ambro Blackwell. Each one of you helped keep this podcast on the air, and I appreciate every single one of you. Speaking of thankfulness, <laughs> uh, if you can't afford to become a patron but still want to help the show, you can. And one way is to pull up that blog version and use one of my affiliate links. I also have a page on my website, authormedia.com, that has a list of all of my recommended resources with all of the affiliate links there. So if you're trying to remember something, you can go to that page and the affiliate link should be there. If it's not, send me an email. I occasionally forget to add things, <laughs> but I try to keep it up to date. Quick personal update for my three-year-old daughter. Her favorite book right now is Libraries Most Wanted by Carolyn Leglau. Carolyn was actually a student in our book launch blueprint and my daughter keeps bringing her book and, and reading it. It's a really excellent uh, children's book about a, a, a sheriff deputy who, who's working in the library for her aunt. My son, Tommy, his favorite book right now is Mouse Mess, which is a, a cute little story about a mouse who sneaks out after the family goes to bed and gets into all the food. <laughs> and he loves this book so much. We were reading it multiple times a day. We read it in the morning and the afternoon, before naps, before bed. And my wife had this fun idea to 
make a meal, like a special lunch that was all of the things that the mouse eats in the Mouse Mess book, which is, I thought, really clever idea, partly because he's a really picky eater. <laughs> so we made this meal and we took photos and I was like, you know, we really should send Linnea Riley, who's the author of that book, a photo, you know, at least tweet her or something. Because one of the things I've learned being in this industry is that a book that's a big deal for us, you know, that's a, just a normal person who wrote it. So my wife is looking up the info on the author of that book. And it turns out she died a couple of years ago. She passed away uh, to cancer. And that was really sad. We weren't able to share with her this, the joy that her book had brought our family. Cause my son, he adores this book <laughs> and I don't hate it yet. <laughs> Despite the number of times I've read it, which is I think one of the highest compliments I can give a book that becomes as beloved as, as this book. But as I thought about it more, I was like, this really is kind of why we write, right? Linnea has passed away. She is no longer interacting with people. She's no longer paying people. She's no longer encouraging people. And yet she still is. (laughs) She has this legacy through this book that has outlived her. And this is, you know, one of the most special things about being an author is that uh, unlike most things that we do, that kind of is here and then is gone, being an author really can leave a legacy. Your book can continue to bless people. And, you know, if you write for children, your book can continue to bless children. You know, Dr. Seuss is no longer with us, and yet he's still influencing generations today. So I just want to share that with you for an encouragement. You're not just writing for your target reader. You're also writing potentially for people who've not yet been born, for future generations. You're not going to get there until you can thrill the ones who are alive, right? Not every book makes it from generation to generation. But it is fun to think that your book can continue to bless readers even after you're no longer commercially exploiting it. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I'm very thankful for Linnea Riley for for making a book that has really helped my son uh, discover reading. My daughter was always into books, but Mouse Mess has really helped bring Tommy and to reading. It's out of print, sadly, so you have to find a used copy somewhere, but I'll, I'll link to it on Amazon. Anyway, the Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our producer is Lori Christine. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt, and the blog version is lovingly crafted by Shauna Lettler. To read that blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 339. Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying, thank you for listening and live long and prosper.